Hello, I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop, and this is the Meet Cute Book Pod. Today, we have audio from our virtual release party for Katie Roberts' fourth Dark Olympus book, Radiant Sin, which came out on February 7th. It's a sexy spy story in which the spying requires our main characters to fake date to attend a house party full of danger, which is frankly an A-plus premise. To celebrate that release, Katie Robert is in conversation with the wonderful Zio Axelrod. Katie and Zio took a ton of audience questions during the event, and there were some great ones. They chat about the fun of loose retellings and why the worlds of Katie's various series are intertwined. Both authors share their favorite tropes and talk through the differences between traditional and indie publishing, and what they do when they hit a wall while writing. Katie considers which character in the series so far surprised her the most, and how her sex scenes stay fresh because they're derived from character. She also previews what's coming for some of our Dark Olympus favorites, and even teases a project that she's afraid to attempt, but is attempting nonetheless. Before I leave you to their delightful chat, I'll briefly introduce Katie and Zio in case they're new-to-you authors. Katie Robert is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of contemporary romance and romantic suspense. Entertainment Weekly calls her writing unspeakably hot. Her books have sold over a million copies, and she lives in the Pacific Northwest with her husband, children, a cat who thinks he's a dog, and two Great Danes who think they're lapdogs. Zio Axelrod is an award-winning USA Today bestselling author of contemporary fiction and romance. Zio grew up in the music industry and began recording at a young age. When she isn't writing stories, she can be found in the studio writing songs or performing on international stages under a different but not-so-secret name. She lives in Philadelphia. All right, without further ado, here is Katie Robert in conversation with Zio Axelrod. Hey, Katie. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. No, thank you. Yeah, you know, I love hanging out with you. I feel like we've seen more of each other over the last like six months than we had in a while because because yeah. of the pandemic, obviously. But even before that, we kind of like weren't in the same area. So it's been nice to like be, be, be in your presence. But congratulations on the release of Radiance. And like, like you, I feel like this series, the whole concept of modernizing mythology i love anyway and i know that this was this was on your radar for a while but tell me again where did where was the impetus for this series i my great love song like my whatever magnum opus and whatever you know what i'm saying the words yeah. the words that make sense not in my mouth um <laughs> is just like i really love like fairy tales and myths and how mm-hmm. they myths to a slightly lesser extent but like fairy tales like evolve throughout the times depending on who's telling them mm-hmm. and so like retellings are like my first love like I, you'll never find me saying no to a beauty and the beast retelling i want them all i don't care if it's the 726 one i've read i want 727 <laughs> and i knew that i wanted to tackle greek myths just because there's so much tragedy and so many of like the literal worst people and and i wanted to kind of take the things i loved about it and sort of give it a little remix and and right happily ever afters and not tragedies and it's 
It's been very interesting because by now, by book four, even though the series is like as successful as it's ever been, it's going strong. It seems like the criticism, people have finally realized what, what they're signing up for when they're signing up for this series. It's not a classical retelling. It's not Madeline Miller. Like that's, yeah. not, I'm telling yeah. a different type of story. Yeah. And so the criticisms of like, it's not, that's not how the real myth goes. It's like, okay, but like, which myth? <laughs> like the first one recorded or the one that was told, you know, however long before some right. dude decided to write it down. Right. And uh yeah, I'm just having a lot of fun. And it's like book four is kind of like I set up the dominoes in books one through three and book mm-hmm. four tips, tips it over. Yeah. And then now, now the roller coaster, it's too late to get off the ride. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love that you're taking these stories and applying, you know, as romance readers, we love our tropes. We love throwing them in the blender and seeing what comes out. And you're such a master at like picking tropes that fit these characters the things that we know about the you know the mytho- mythological characters and then your twist on them and then there's this like romance aspect that you put on you put on them that we recognize we recognize the grumpy sunshine we recognize you know what i mean and it's so brilliant like so so brilliant like did you sit down and go okay here's my here's the pantheon here's who i think fits this or did it just come as you're going i had more or less planned out the main core couples of each book but that's before I realized that we were going to have a trio in book three and an open poly knot in book five um <laughs> so it's it's a it's adapted a bit to reflect things that I didn't expect mm-hmm. but the beauty of having the title system where there's always a you know Hephaestus but it's not necessarily always the same Hephaestus means yes. that mm-hmm. I can sort of pull from different parts of those like gods and the various myths because they're not all like a uniform character arc mm-hmm. or character mm-hmm. archetype and so like with Apollo like in a lot of myths he's the worst he's real bad like he and I wanted to kind of give him a little softer touch and yeah. It, it, it listen enjoy it it'll never happen again in the rest of the series <laughs> but, but it's it's a lot of fun to kind of like I'm a character first writer and so it's like I feel like I've gotten good at like boiling down to the essence of a character so that it's still identifiable and like Cassandra is still speaking the truth that no one believes it's just not magical it's not prophecy it's because yeah. she's on the outer rim of this society that has shunned her and yeah. she has to be able to identify motives and characters and whatever in order to survive mm-hmm. and so but nobody believes her because of her family's history and all this right. other stuff and so it's kind of like if you haven't read myths you're not going to be missing out on much because the story stands on its own but if you have i hope that it's a satisfying experience to be to find that recognition in there and be like, oh, this is how she did it. And not because like I, I, as much as I love classical retellings of anything, I really find that like when an author brings like a fresh take to it, it feels like magic. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, like I see what you did there. Like I see how you took and did that twist. And like, it's still a thing that I recognize, but it's new and it makes me giddy and I'm very pleased. And so like, that's my goal in writing and, and it's been my subconscious is much smarter than I am. And so there's <laughs> things that have like played into like, for example, no spoilers, but one of the core elements of Hephaestus and Aphrodite's relationship in myth is that she cheats on him. Like she just, you know, she's the goddess of love and she spreads her love around. And he's like the <laughs> stoic, like sad panda about it. And I always knew that I wanted that to be a component of their relationship but I didn't know who was going to be in those roles when I set out. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what that would exactly look like. 
but I wanted to play with that. Like, what if Aphrodite wasn't faithful necessarily? Like what, how do you make that work? And, um, and so it's that kind of thing that I find it a fun challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mission accomplished because you, you, you working the magic and we're all loving it. Um, Who in this that we've read so far, I should say, because I don't want to, I don't want you to spoil anything going forward, but who surprised you the most? Like which character was like, I know you think it's this. I know you think it's A, but it's really Z. And you were like, oh, I that happens to me quite a lot. Oh, yeah. It's and it's like that's when it's like magic that I'm like, am I writing you or am I a conduit for this story? What's happening yeah. here? Yeah. Um, it was strangely enough, it was Achilles because which he's like the least surprising character on page. Like he is the essence of the arrogant warrior who's like the best and he's never had to question. And coming up to the end of that book, I didn't quite know what the ending was going to be. And I Mm -hmm. legit was like, I don't know if I can see a way through this because him and Helen are so diametrically opposed and they're both so sure of their path and the way that it fell out and the way that he reacted did surprise me because I was like, look at you, buddy. And like, (laughs) and how he reacted instead of like, it's just, it's such an interesting, like he ended up being very sympathetic to and understanding to Helen's weaknesses and flaws in a way that Patroclus could not necessarily conceptualize. Mm -hmm. And it just, I, I didn't plan that. It just happened. (laughs) Let me see. Let me, Oh, there is a question from Joseph de la Cruz. This one is for both Zio and Katie. If you find yourself in a writing block, how do you get yourself out of it? (laughs) I'd like to know. Um, And are you hard on yourself and try to get out of it? Do you ever get, I mean, we all do, I'm sure. But do you ever hit the wall? I've found, you know, because we've been doing this a long time now. (laughs) I've found that usually if I hit a wall, it's because I can't see the next beat. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it means that I need to go back and fix something. And sometimes it means that I need to just skip that beat and move forward with the story and like leave myself some notes and then come Mm -hmm. back for it when I have more the future mapped out. But I, I'm a shark. I can't stop swimming because if I stop swimming, then I'm in trouble. And so I keep swimming no matter what that looks like, how messy it is. And it's usually... These days it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know what this scene's supposed to be. Like, I know what I wanted it to accomplish, but I can't like see it. Yeah. And yeah. so I leave myself some notes and I skip to the next point that I can see in the book. Yeah, similar. I mean, I I skip if I can. I'm a very linear writer though. So it's hard mm-hmm. for me to jump around. I tried it once, it was a hot mess. I won't ever do it again. But what I can do sometimes is move to another project. Right. Which is very convenient right now. Because <laughs> yeah, you're bouncing but between two. <laughs> I'm bouncing. I had five going at one point. That was a bit much. But bouncing between That's... two, I can go, okay. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. But like, I go, okay, this scene is not coming to me. Like you said, I'm not seeing it. I'm not hearing. So what do I do? And, you know, my old way before um, we had like deadlines that we had to meet from other people was to throw on some music that would trigger me or throw on some a scene from a movie. I would go straight to the scene in Sense and Sensibility where Colonel Brandon comes in and, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, that's the one that's going to get me there. Um, but yeah, but now it's like, okay, I'm stuck here. Let me just move on and, and see if this other project will like spark some energy and then I find the flow. I will say the other thing that sometimes works that if it's a spot that like I can't skip because mm-hmm. for whatever reason, mm-hmm. my my human hamster wheel back there is like just movement or like yeah. 
taking a break, taking a couple laps around the house or like folding some lawn, doing some like task that doesn't require actual thought lets my brain click, click, click in the background. And yeah, sometimes it works. It's yeah. I mean, walking away from a manuscript, especially if you're not like up against it, but you know, deadlines, walking away is sometimes the best thing you can do. Like you really, if you're like pushing and pushing and you know, that either what you're putting out is not what you want or nothing is coming, then it's like, okay, let me take a step back, go for a walk, you know, run to the store, listen to something, you know? Yeah. Well, and there's the other component of it too, is that some parts of books are just sticky. Like I get Mm. between 60 and 80%. It's awful. It's slogging through mud. I hate it. I, every word feels like a battle. And unfortunately I can't skip that part. I just have, but I know like, you know, you've done it enough times, you know, that if I can get to 80%, the rest of the book will be like easy (laughs) or at least not feel so like I'm fighting for my life. And that's, that's the other thing that comes with experience is knowing like, okay, I struggle with beginnings or I struggle with endings or I, you know, there's that dip in the middle every single time that, you know, you, and you're like, I have succeeded most of the time. I know that I can get through this one too. Yeah, sometimes you're like, how did I ever write a book before? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, how did I do this before? Seems fake, <laughs> <laughs> right? Fake news. Yeah. Now, I I think lately my big thing has been starting the book, like getting that first chapter just so that it just like gets their hook, gets the hooks in. You know, that's been really tough for me lately. And I'm like, man, am I like losing my touch? I go back and read like old stuff and go, this was good. Like, I can do this. I know how to do this. I always doubt there, like, there's always a point in every single book where I'm like, this is it. This is the one that breaks me. I'm, I yeah. don't know what I'm doing now. Um, for me, I'm like, this is when they figure out I'm a fraud that they know yeah. that I don't really know how to write. <laughs> yeah. This the um, gig's up. <laughs> yeah. The gig's Oh, well, that's it. You've had a good run. Yeah. Um, Christine Kim wants to know what is your favorite trope to read and what is your favorite trope to write? Mine to surprise no one. I love enemies to lovers. Like I love it with the love of a thousand fiery suns. If you put a marriage of convenience in there with it, like just melt me into a puddle. I'm here. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's why it shows up again and again in my work and why I, if somebody's like, oh, this book's enemies to lovers. I'm like, I don't need to know anything else. I yeah. will like that, especially if it's like knife to throat enemies to lovers, like love it. Like true enemies to love. Cause there's yes. also like, you know, rivals to lovers and, and we I slightly I, don't I, like each other to lovers or yeah. misunderstanding to lovers, but yeah, a good enemies to lovers will get me. I do time. love like academic rivals to lovers. It's like mm. one of my favorite like sub tropes of that trope because it's such an interesting component because it, the stakes are like, academics which is life and death when you're a teenager but not necessarily so much like as an adult and so like it takes a little bit of the fear of like oh something terrible is going to happen but also like the immediacy is so and they know each other just so well like so well yeah and I do love that (laughs) yeah I like you know mixing them up with like childhood friends or like second chance as well you know where there's just like chances just it's that thing that yeah it's like Mm, it gives you like that. I love angst. I like reading angst. I'm really bad at writing it because I'm I'm I want to treat my babies well. <laughs> I don't know which is which is weird because I came from the fanfic world and we just love to, to torture oh, those characters. Eat that with a spoon. Like, seriously, seriously. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, I'll just give you like one page of angst. But now I have to get back to my to what I really love and get some good angst in there somewhere. It's it's. I think it's been hard in the last couple of years too, just because yeah. like I don't 
want to feel bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it, even though, it, even if it's bad with like the assurance that it's going to feel good at the end, like it's harder for me to enjoy certain mm-hmm. types of angst now, which is unfortunate because like, like you said, eat it with a spoon, like Seriously. give it to me. <laughs> yeah. There's like shows and books that I've set aside because during that, like you said, during that period, it was like, mm, I need something that's going to, I need a warm blanket right now, you know? Yeah. Which interestingly enough, sometimes when I'm in that mode where I'm like, I just feel bad, like, and it, it you know, it still happens because the world keeps on being itself. Yeah. I randomly will turn to dark romance and be like, I need something to hurt me. Mm-hmm. But like, and then I, and then I like learn things about myself that I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. So it's, it's very interesting that like what I end up craving when I'm like feeling like discombobulated with current events. Yeah, I feel like horror romance is having a moment because of what we've yeah. all been dealing with. Truly, too. it's yeah. it's such an interesting thing to see the work those authors are doing because it's unapologetically leaning into like that that space. And romance and horror are both so emotion first and mm-hmm. and like the height of emotion. And so, like pairing them together when done well is just masterful. Like, yeah. Sometimes it's too much. Sometimes it's too much. But the ones that hit that sweet spot are like, hello, you're going on my keeper shelf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cassandra wants to know a question for you both. Even though you two have reached great achievements within your careers, have you experienced moments where you question your direction or feel unsure if you can pull off the idealized vision of your story? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Short answer. Yes. Author careers are never just linear. It's up and down and you just whirly loops and like the you'll get like the ground will feel really solid. You'll feel really confident Then the market will change and suddenly mm-hmm. you're out in the stratosphere again. But even on like a craft level, I recently decided to, I have a project that um, it's not contracted. It won't be seen for years, but it is so ambitious that years. I'm like, I don't know if I have the craft <laughs> to pull this off. Uh-huh. And it's terrifying, but like exhilarating at the same time. Cause it's like, Oh, like I have to level up if I want to tell this story and it's not romance and it's not anything that I've like, like anything that I've done to date. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, it, it kernels in your soul and you're like, Oh, this, this is meant for me. I just, I don't know where it fits and it's not part of the plan and it's scary and new and like, but like, um, yeah, yeah. every once in a while, one of those comes along. And when it does, I try to make sure I give it the space and, energy because that's like where the magic happens yeah and that's that's a gift to give yourself like I there's you know there's a couple of projects that I've been sitting on every once in a while I'll make notes or like write a piece of dialogue that pops into my head because like you said you feel like okay if I'm going to tell this story I really want to do it justice and it's so outside of my wheelhouse that you know I don't want to half-ass it or anything (laughs) like I want to want to put in the work and one of them is I guess technically now it'd be considered historical because we're you know now that we're in the 2020s Oh God. I think, <laughs> I think it's now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's now considered historical. So yeah. And that's one that, you know, cause then you're, you're like, okay, the vernacular, the technology, like all that stuff, like that's work. I mean, not that we don't do work as can you, you definitely are doing a lot of work, but it's like a specific but, like, level of like world building that yes, like, because yeah. people lived through it, there yeah. is accountability in the way that there isn't in like Olympus that doesn't exist. So I can be like, this is what it is. And it's cause yeah. I say so. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas if it's like, oh, like, you know, in the living past, you're like, oh yeah, no, it, that's not a thing. Like payphones did exist back then. I promise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, well, even in the living present, like I I put a building in Philadelphia 
where I live in one of my books. And I had someone email me and say, there's no way that that building would be there because of like the building codes around it. And this, I'm like, yes, I know this is fiction. It's okay. You know, but Hey, I, I understand. Like you want to be, want to be true. I get it. Or like <laughs> I got pinged once because I wrote alleys in New York, which there are no alleys in New York or not like in the, that part of the, the city. And I was like, that's fair. It yeah. was convenient for my plot though. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Give us a little bit of grace, just a little bit of grace. Melissa wants to know, how do you keep spicy seams from not becoming repetitive from book to book? Strangely enough, not Barbies. as challenging. Well, yeah, yes. <laughs> but also because I am so character, like rooted in character, no two or three or four, whatever people have are intimate the same way. And so mm-hmm. their characters inform their intimacy or sex scenes or what have you. And so they always feel... I mean, they don't always feel fresh when I'm writing them because it's like, oh my God, this isn't sexy, but I can make anything like sexy if I, as long as it's on the page to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like I, I don't, those are the scenes where the magic happens and not even in like a punny way, just like in the, what? (laughs) Like, yeah. Like there's, I mean, we'll see if it stays in the book. I, my, I did not tell my editor I was doing this because I didn't know I was doing this, but in a a future book in a dark Olympus, there's puppy play. I was like, I, Oh yeah. I didn't plan on this. It's here. It fits. Um, like, and so I'm texting Jenny Nordback because she, you know, used to be a dominatrix and being like, I think I'm writing puppy play. And she's like, you, you are based on what you said that that's what I'm like, okay, I guess I got to do some research. (laughs) Like, so it's, it's, the characters inform it and often I am surprised by what's happening in those scenes. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I need to, I need to look into this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's tough. I mean, you're right. I think it is, it has to be character driven, right? Because these are, these are, and it has to be for me. And I think for you as well, moving the plot forward. It's not to say, Oh, let's stop and have sex here. And then the story resumes. Something's happening in that scene. Either it's a connection or a disconnect or discovery or something. And so there's a, there tends to be a lot of like little comedic moments, I think, when I write mine. Um, one of them will make a really stupid dad joke or something, or like say something really like that they think it's sexy and it's not really, you know, I can't believe you just said that in the middle of this thing that we're doing, you know, that kind of I thing. I love that I, though, because that reflects like, they're so human in that moment yeah, that it's like, yeah. oh, it's not... Like I write the rose tinted like sex scenes. It's like nobody gets their pants stuck around their ankles and falls over. Like, you know, everybody's just like stuff. But like, yeah. I love reading the those moments where you're like, yeah, that's where like when you can have a good laugh like that is more intimate and vulnerable than like 12 orgasms. <laughs> like, because it's yeah. like, you yeah. know, you're being vulnerable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's the vulnerability. Lindsay, do you create visual mood boards as part of your creative process? No, I create sound like playlists. I used to do um, like actual actors or actresses, but like you can't use those photos in like promotional stuff. Yeah. But I, because Olympus is very removed from the world, there's certain like, I can't find people who like perfectly represent the vibe that I'm going for with like whatever character. And so it's more, it's less visual than it used to be, but it's I I need my playlist. I, if I don't have my playlist, I can't focus. It's too scattershot. It's not like, and the playlist is for the series, not for each individual book. But mm-hmm. it grows as I write the series because right. I'm constantly adding 
Do you or do you share your playlist or is it something that's private for you only? Yeah, it's I think they're public on Spotify. I don't private them because I'm like, well, if you want to guess about this playlist, like my one for my upcoming pirate series is called Pirates Gonna Steal Your Girl. Like, <laughs> and so eventually I'll rename it properly and like put the cover up or something. Yeah. But there's a Dark Olympus playlist out there that like exists that I it's active and I'm constantly like tweaking it or like taking a song off that doesn't like fulfill anymore. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do playlists for all of your series and books or is this one specific? I do it for all of them. It's not always one that I create. Like sometimes, like for example, my monster romance, I don't have a specific playlist that I've curated, but I listen to like Beth Crawley radio on Spotify and Mm -hmm. it's all like epic. I'm going to murder the world songs, (laughs) which is like the vibe that that series is in my head. Um, so sometimes I listen to other people's curated lists, but like for long running series that I'm going to be spending time in for years, I usually try to create my own. Yeah. I need music to write, not music mm-hmm. with lyrics, but me just some sort of soundscape. Cause otherwise my brain will pick up on any little sound car passing, whatever it oh, is. It, it just, it just like marbles. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do, so do you have like a writing playlist that's just zone out music that you can just put on and just type away? I mean, it's my process has changed a little bit because I've been dictating. And so I can't Mm -hmm. really listen to music while talking because my brain like gets jumbled. Yeah. But when like I listen to, I've started listening to like soundtracks when I edit, because I don't want words when I'm editing, because that's, I need to be able to focus in and not just flow. Yeah. Yeah. And so the last one I listened to, which ended up on like my top Spotify was um, the uh, Game of Thrones soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And which I like that composer a lot, and he's yeah, done he's a lot fantastic. of stuff. Westworld yeah, so like one of his. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's done a really, really good stuff. Yeah, so he's he's on my list of like that I cycle through his stuff. Um, or uh, there's this artist called Phil. It's P H I L D I L, all caps. Mm-hmm. And some of her stuff it has lyrics and some doesn't, but the lyrics are so like floaty and whatever. It's like you can completely tune out the actual words. Yeah. Um. And some some like Russian music I found that like popped up in my like the feed that I was like, hello, I like you. I can't understand what you're saying, so I don't have to focus on it, and yeah. I can just enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I used to do that with Norwegian music, but now I understand what they're saying, so I can't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would ruin it. Yeah, it's a little bit. Joseph has another question. When it came to planning Wicked Villains slash Dark Olympus and Sabine Valley, did you know that they were going to be set in the same universe or did it come to you as you were writing? So I wrote Wicked Villains like in my own little bubble. And then when I was trying to figure, when I was getting ready to wrap up that series, or I guess I was a couple books, I don't know, time's a flat surface. At some point in the writing that series, Zoe York has these, I think it's a trio of books now. And one, it's like, um, romancing your plan and whatnot. And so part of her whole thing, because I really like the way she teaches, it scratches my brain real good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you have a successful series. Now, what do you do? Take the components of that series that you liked and that your readers like and write a series just like it, but different. And I also admire um, Gail Carriger because all of her stuff, whether it's YA or her adult stuff, it's all in the same world. And so mm-hmm. her readers will jump series with her more than you see with other authors who have a more like separation between their series. So I was like, I want like all these readers and wicked villains. And also I'm not ready to leave the world. I like the vibe that I've created. Yeah, and yeah. so I knew that I wanted to do Greek myths 
retellings because it kind of like dovetails really nicely. I didn't know that it would be traditionally published at the time, but I'm really happy it did. <laughs> but yeah. um yeah, and Sabine Valley is similar, but like that series is a pause maybe forever. I don't know, guys. I'm sorry. But <laughs> it's just it's really taxing and it's it just didn't quite hit the sweet spot the way that I'd been hoping both as a writer and as, or like the audience, but I like writing in the same world. I like that. It's like this little like multiverse of my creation. Yeah. That it's like, no, like here's an Easter egg for this other character, this other series. And like, did you notice it? And if you didn't, that's cool. But if you read like all my books, like it's hopefully satisfying for readers. Yeah. No, I think it is. I love doing that. I love, there was a, there's a book I have that the main character was a, one in one scene in one book and for some reason he stuck with me and so I flipped that scene around from his POV in his book and then people were like is that the guy who was at the bar and I'm like yeah that's him you know so it was like even for me I was like they get it you know they they figured it out it was so satisfying to have people be like oh like I didn't realize that like like for example the Hades Hades thing like that is why the title system exists in Dark Olympus is because I was like how do I have two Hades without like endangering the happily ever after of of old Hades yeah and then I was like oh like if, I, if there's always a Hades but it's not the same one but then of course they're going to be connected like mm-hmm. you know and and so that played out and it wasn't meant to be like a big secret or anything on how it played out but like people are like is it is it is it is are, is it, are they connected like this and I'm like there's a short that they're a reunion they reunite. You, you can get in my newsletter. It's for free. It's for you. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So that kind of stuff is really fun. And also people will make jumps that I'm like, I didn't intend that, but like, that's clever. That's clever. Um, right. Who are the characters that people ask you to write that you have? Like, like you get those people who are like, this is this character only showed up in one scene or they were in two scenes. And I really love them. Are they going to get their own book right now? The number one couple that I get asked for is Zeus and Hera, which mm-hmm. is funny because I've been, I've been being asked about that since Electric Idol and <laughs> being like, oh, is, are there book book three? No, no, it's not. So they're book uh, four. No, they're not. They're, yeah. Nine. <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, they're the number one. Like, And I also get asked about Hermes a lot, which Hermes is a little more uh, mysterious, which I think Radiant Sin will kind of dial that in a little bit because she's been this like here and gone and nobody mm-hmm. knows. And like, I feel like she becomes much more human in like and complicated in Radiant Sin. Mm-hmm. At least I had, a, I, I had too much fun writing her. My editor had to be like, Katie, we, there's a little too much Hermes. We need to dial it back. This is not her <laughs> book. You're, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah. So she, her book is last and she it's those three though. It's, it's Zeus and Hera and it's Hermes and which some people ask for Hermes and Dionysus, but that's not their relationship. And he's not super, like he's he's he doesn't get a book just because he's not overly interested in dating or sex, which is mm-hmm. what my books are. So right, yeah, I'm very happy. He's a cool character, though. Yeah, I can see why they want to know more about him. I mean, I love I love when I when you have characters who even I want to read more about them, and I'm like, I don't know how to fit that into what I'm doing, but maybe I'll just write a short for myself somewhere or do something like you like you do, which is great for your newsletter um, or yes. your subscribers and in, in Patreon and stuff. They save my bacon because in every single book, there's some breakout character that I'm like, fuck, like, I don't <laughs> have a book for you. And I, and I, the series is already going to be 10 books long. There is no more space for like random cool side characters like Atlanta that I love her. I love her. But so I'm like, I'm going to have to write a novella at some point because like, mm-hmm. I can't just leave her behind. Yeah. Um 
which isn't, I mean, it's great for like readers, unfortunate for my writing schedule. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't have time right now. Right. <laughs> Maybe in the future. <laughs> Somebody asked me about um, in the girl with stars in her eyes, Tony's parents are not together, obviously, but they have this history. And someone was like, are you going to write like a prequel? And I was like, well, I hadn't thought about that, but that, and it's not going to end happily. So like, <laughs> why would you want that? But, but they just want to know. So. Yeah. Well, everybody, they like want, like they get hints of that rich story. Like when you, cause you build this world that is so like real that it's like, okay, but like we saw this, but like what's happening over here. I need to know Mm -hmm. more. And like, yeah, that's like the highest compliment as a storyteller that people are like, no, but what about that character? And it's like, I I wasn't going to tell their story, but like, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Chanel wants to know what can us readers look forward to with every character we have come to meet so far and with the ones we have not yet without giving out huge spoilers. <laughs> so every character, not every character, but what can you tell us about what we might expect? I, so let's see, what can I, okay. So in book five, which is Aphrodite and Hephaestus and Pandora and Adonis and an open polynot. So it's not like a square. It's, it's open. Um, there's a lot of hate sex and Aphrodite is probably the most vicious heroine I've ever written. And like, I love her. (laughs) Um, (laughs) she's very mean. It's, it's the meanest interactions that I've written in this series. And I mean, it's earned, but it's mean, um, in book six, there's just, that's Orpheus, Eurydice and Charon just a big old grovel. It's a big old grovel. You're mad at Orpheus. I'm mad at Orpheus. Eurydice is mad at Orpheus. It's a grovel. Yeah. Um, and then after that, like we, we're not going to get into it. We're just, it's just going to be, but we're not this like Radiance and is the softest book in the series and it, it will be the softest book in the series. There'll be no more soft books in the series. So like, that's <laughs> something to take into account. There's lots of enemies to lovers, lots of forced proximity situations, lots of knife to throw, but sometimes literally, and it's like, I guess Charon, Eurydice, and Orpheus is like a little bit soft, but it's not because there's so much history between them. It's so jagged and yeah, like hurting yeah. that it can't be soft because they mm-hmm. have to like either find a way to live with those jagged bits or to sand them down. And it's not as lovely as it would be to be able to sand down trauma. That's not really how it works. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, a lot of really intense stuff that I will hopefully pull off. <laughs> Oh, I have every faith. Pam <laughs> wants to know if we have any horror romance wrecks. So mind the content warnings. Big old red flags content warnings. Um, Haunting Adeline. I don't like stalkers. Like I don't like stalker romance. It's not a thing that I, I'm attracted to. I don't seek it out. I've read exactly two stalker romances that I dig. And, and this is one of them. And like, I don't know how she did it. I did, I will say I did skim every single section of him doing plot stuff because I was not there for that. I was only there for the relationship. I'm sure it was lovely. But (laughs) their dynamic and the way that she wrote that heroine was just so like, I I couldn't look away. I couldn't stop reading it. I was in the group chat sending all caps text messages being like, the audacity of this author is just like, holy crap. She threaded that needle and it's not for everybody. And again, mind the content warnings, please. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that book changed me. <laughs> so um, it, it it introduced me to new things. I didn't know that I don't know if I trust any other author to provide, but it was, it was a ride. <laughs> okay. That is going to the top of my TBR. I'm, I'm waiting for, um, I don't know if you, if you know Rowan Parrish. Yes. 
Rowan is working on some horror romance. What? I know. I know. I don't know when or where or how. But she's mentioned it a couple times. And I'm like, gimme, gimme, gimme. So it's like, you can't yeah. tease us like this. Like, I know, I'm not going to bully you into writing this book. But like, also. But yes, also. but also. <laughs> now. Yesterday, please. <laughs> yeah. Horror romance specifically allows you to dig into by I, I, it's a label thing because it's dark romance, but like dark romance, there's like it's a spectrum, and like the horror romance is on the darker side of things. And if they're really embracing that, it's it's an experience. And yeah, it's one that I can't read regularly, but like when I want that experience, it it provides. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's and that's the thing that it's like how like I love. I love it when I'm like, I don't like this thing. I don't like a thing. Like I don't, I empirically do not want this trope or character or whatever. And then this author will come along and be yep. like, but do you? And that's, yeah. that's where the magic happens for me. Cause I'm like, I, you convinced me like you, you, you changed me. Yeah. I, I don't know if I trust anybody else, but like, I trust you sort of now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, and then you said you find an author that does it really well. And you're like, okay, you might be the only author I trust with this trope or this situation. That's how um, Kate C. Wells has become for me is that like, she pulls these tropes and characters and situations out that I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want a stalker romance with a heroine with an eating disorder. Like these are not things that I would intentionally seek out because mm-hmm. like, I find it triggering. And yet in her hands, I'm like, I have all these emotions and I love this and I need you to write more of this. Like it's, yeah. it's just, and it's every single thing. It's rejected mates. I don't love rejected mates. Do I need her to write 27 more rejected mate <laughs> books? Yes. I just, I don't know how she does it, but she comes at it from such a unique angle that it's like, Oh yeah. I like, I think I like this. Yeah. Yeah. Sierra Simone is one of those authors for me. Yes. She's always How are you going to make me ship brothers, Sierra? How? You, how? how? I know, right? upsetting Uh, thank you um uh, differences between publishing indie versus trad and increasingly interplay between the two that's a good question that's a big question i can tell you the main difference for me is deadlines (laughs) when you have your own deadline you can kind of like you know what i'm just gonna shift that here i'm just gonna uh, you know this isn't working i'm gonna move it over there when you're on someone else's time that's a big one and like there are pros and cons to each and like, you know, no one way to do a thing, but I find it so interesting that traditional, even now, even knowing what they know about the market and like the fact that indie is like, does things a certain way and is successful doing things that certain way will mm-hmm. still be like, I see that you got successful doing things this certain way, like mass, like um, not fast releasing, but like releasing pretty regularly mm-hmm. and like a- across multiple series. Like I see that you did that and that's really cool. And like your career is excellent because of it. We want you to stop <laughs> <laughs> only publish with us. And it's just India is so you know, broad statements, but like there is so much innovative cutting edge authors swinging for the fences, whether they miss or not happening Mm -hmm. in indie because they can take risks because it's not the end of their career. If that book doesn't go where they want it to go because they can discard it and move on to the next thing. Whereas trad is like the yacht or like the cruise boat. That's like, we're turn. No, are we turning? I don't know if we're turning or not. Yeah. They're like, Oh, this new thing. It's scary. And it's, there are editors who are doing really innovative things, but they are a lot of times hamstrung by their mm-hmm. the fact You're that they have to by... answer to 12 people before they can yeah. say yes to something. 
Yeah, so, they're bound by the market, what the market, what they think the market is demanding, what they're, what they're well, seeing. Yeah, like the retailers, like Walmart gets like so much say and for down to the cover of things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. restrictive. And it's not that that's like a bad thing necessarily. I mean, it is in a lot of ways, but it's it's very interesting to see how trad is sort of trying to scoop up like the indies who are doing well, but then also isn't necessarily scooping up the things that made those indies do well. <laughs> like if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. I find it fascinating. I watch it closely because I, my only goal in life now, like I'm a spiteful creature is to arm wrestle traditional publishing and doing what I want, which is like a <laughs> silly thing. Like who cares what they do? But I'm just like, I know this will work. And if you would just do the thing that all yeah. these indie authors know will work, I guarantee you people would be happy and maybe they won't, maybe it won't work. And then it'll blow up in my face. And I'm like, all right, Trad, <laughs> fair enough. I'm going to go back to Indy. So we'll see. <laughs> I love that we get to do both because we're both hybrid authors. And I think there is a freedom in that because you do, um, you get, you can play in the box, you know, and then you can step outside the box and do whatever you want to do and to, and take risks and stuff. You know, do you, so have you found, this is a question yeah. for me. Have you found, that having success as a trad author, that you're care- more careful about what you put out as an indie. Does it does it change what you would like? You talk about swinging for the fences. Are you like, mm, if I swing for that fence, it might affect what's happening? No. So yeah. I am. I thanks to TikTok and like timing and like I wrote. A, I'm writing a really good series. I'm proud of it. But the timing hit this like perfective like kismet whatever Mm -hmm. it's like this wave and i'm like i'm riding this wave as hard as i want to as hard as i can until it goes away because it always goes away like Mm -hmm. it's never you're never straight up yeah and so i my whole thing for like six months was like i want trad to buy a fantasy that fucks for me like that's what i want like i could go write it indie and i and but like i it's it's that goal of being able to write the audacity of like whatever and to make them publish it (laughs) And I mean, they're 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 gonna publish queer pirates, but I do find that it's hard because like like the monster stuff is it doesn't go as hard as I thought it would when I started writing it. I was like, I'm gonna write monsters, and they're gonna go so hard, and it's gonna be so dark, and and it's like these soft relationships that also make <laughs> you like called out personally on the page. I hurt my own feelings every book of those I write because it's like, <laughs> why are we delving into these deep emotional traumas instead of just having monster sex? Yeah. So it's just I kind of just go like my only guiding principle now is writing for joy, and sometimes. I have given myself permission to discard things that don't serve me as far as like, obviously you can't do that in trad, but like, (laughs) thankfully this series, like I'm working with an editor who is very much like, don't pump them brakes, go faster, go harder. Yes. And, and that is a really great creative space to be in. But as far as indie, like I just, it's, it's just, I'm like, if I, I'm going to do it and I think it'll work. And most more or less i mean some of them do okay but it's not i didn't get to where i am now by letting fear take me and mm-hmm. all the way up and through my career through like 2018 like i let fear drive like i'm like oh what's the market gonna say and what's like what happens if i can't sell these books or whatever and now i've been around long enough that's like okay like maybe the market will turn and like nobody will want to read greek myths and this series will like die i maybe Well, I know that I can bounce back from that. Like I know that my core readers will still be there. I know that as long as I chase my joy, I will write books that will resonate with at least somebody. Mm -hmm. So it's remarkable 
how much my readers trust me to jump into things that they're like, I don't think I want a dragon with two dicks, but like you wrote it and you seem very excited about it. So like, I guess I'll try it. it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so you're that author for, for your readers. They're like, you know what? I really don't like Greek mythology. Well, I do now. I like it now. I I don't like monster. Oh, well I do now. Yeah. you're. I I think I, I've kind of boiled down my essence to like, I provide a very specific reading experience, even though it's not necessarily the same reading experience with each book. It's like, you know, in a Katie Robert book that you're going to get certain components Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's built a trust that I do try to like take into account of like, don't break the trust. And that's why I'm like content warnings. Like there's a thing that might upset you in this one. Please skip this book if you need to like no harm, no foul. But I mean, I am going to write a stalker romance next year and I'm like terrified because it's how do you like go hard and thread that needle? The Like I am not HD Carlton. I don't know if I can pull it off. And so like that is, there's an element of like, I've kind of fallen into this like dark light space where it's not, I don't write dark romance, like not really mm-hmm. like by the true nature of the genre. Right. And so it's like, if I go darker, are people going to bulk? I don't know. I'm going to do it because I want to, but, but I am will, aware. But then you'll that... also pick up a reader who's like, Ooh, I know. Yeah. Then they'll go be like, what is this soft garbage she wrote before? <laughs> <laughs> There's a great question related here, actually, from Emily. Is there a genre or a story you want to write, but you don't think audiences are quite ready for yet? <laughs> I, I Listen, like I said, I have this project that it's it's not romance. It might be horror fantasy. I'm not entirely certain what the genre. It might even be literary fiction. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's so far from like my core brand right now that I, it's mm-hmm. like, I don't even know how to sell this book. So the pro the thing with chasing joy is I'm still going to chase it. I'm still going to do mm-hmm. it. And even if it, nobody ever sees it except me, at least I'll like have written the thing and like, it'll be in my heart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, you know, there's the old thing, like write the book you want to read, you know, which I think you do. I think you, you chase if your I'm joy. If I'm not having and, fun, then like, what is the point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have one too that it started out as, it was a short story that I wrote for an anthology years ago. And I had to, I had to do, I had to read it out loud in front of an audience. And they were like, what happens next? And I was like, really this little thing? But it's like, so not like anything that I've published before. It's not, well, it could be romance. Who knows what it ends up being, but it, it's, it's paranormal it's oh wow. so it's like oh so yeah I really you're selling wanna... me on this <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk offline you know let me, <laughs> let me pick your brain a bit but yeah we shall see oh titles where do the titles come for your books where do they come from <laughs> <laughs> not for me i am so bad at titles that it is <laughs> like they don't even ask me anymore they don't even there's like you know what katie here's a list of words with vibes <laughs> and like like, um, there's that TikTok sound. I, I, it's from a movie, I'm sure, but it's like, nobody knows what it means. It's provocative. Those are the Dark Olympus titles. Nobody knows what any of them mean. They are provocative. Um, <laughs> what about your indie titles, stuff. though? Your indie titles you do yourself, don't you? Yeah, that's why they're very, like, on the nose. It's like, the gargoyle's <laughs> captive. She is, in fact, a captive of a gargoyle. Like, so it's because I'm bad at titles. I don't, oh, I, man. some people are good at them. Like, Nisha Sharma will just, will be like, hmm, things. And she's like, here's six titles that are, like, phenomenal. And um, that's not my skill. And I respect that. <laughs> titles I'm okay with. It's when we get to the blurbs that I, I get, like, yeah, I don't know how to describe this book. I'm, the, I'm really, it's really bad at, like, the elevator pitch for books. I had to, like, memorize 
certain keywords when you're doing like an event or something and someone's mm-hmm. like, hey, I've never read you before. Tell me about your books. And I'm like, they have words and people kiss. <laughs> you I'm, know? I'm good at blurbs because it's like a formula to me that it's like, this paragraph has this, this paragraph has this, this, Mm. then we end on like, what will happen? But like fan fiction has provided so much of like, here's how I pitch my book, fanfic tropes. And some of them are not proper tropes. Like that's why I have that tag list for all my books that it's like the most ridiculous, like that's how I tag my AO3 stuff. It's like, uh, here's this very specific tag that only applies to this book. It's not a thing people actually look for. (laughs) Yeah. When you finish a book, how long of a break do you take before you start the next one? <laughs> What's a break? I don't What's understand a break? the question. <laughs> do you no. do you take an hour, a day, an afternoon? Like I try really hard to finish books on Friday and then take the weekend off and start mm-hmm. on a Monday. Because I like a Monday. I, I Mondays are very powerful to me that I'm like, I feel in control of my life. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it, it lasts for Monday and then it's gone. But yeah. um, I try to take like a day at least, but I'm just not good at taking time off. Maybe a day, maybe like two or three, two days if I'm really wild, but not more time than that. (laughs) It's tough because we're, if you're not writing, you're editing. If you're not editing, you're creating marketing materials. You're not doing that. You're promoting or you're doing an event or whatever. So it's like, you're never not doing something. Even on vacation, I'm on Instagram, like, okay, here's some things coming up and here's some stuff I'm working on. And my husband's like, could you, could you, like, I don't work nights anymore, but like I work pretty much every day just because it's like, if I don't keep that momentum, I forget how to write. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My, my writer writing muscles atrophy if I'm not working, like writing all the time. So. And there you have it. A huge thank you to Katie and Zio for joining us to celebrate the release of Radiant Sin. If their conversation has made you want to pick up some of their books and you're wondering where to start, good news. I asked them. Katie Roberts' latest, Radiant Sin, is book four in her Dark Olympus series, and it's out now. If you haven't dived into Dark Olympus yet, Katie says you can start on book one, two, or three, but I say start with book one, Neon Gods. Zio Axelrod says that you should start with her most recent book, The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes, which she calls a rock and roll fairy tale. It's got an all-female rock band and a delicious childhood friends to enemies to friends to lovers arc. Alternatively, if you're more in the mood for romantic suspense, she recommends picking up Camden from her indie backlist. It opens with, let's call it a meat threat. I also asked Katie and Zio to recommend a book by another author that they've recently loved because you can never have too long of a TBR. Katie recommends The Hurricane Wars by Thea Guanzen. It's a fantasy epic with fantastic world building and an enemies to lovers romance arc. It's not out till October, but you can pre-order it now. Zio recommends checking out Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute, the latest Talia Hibbert. It's a delightful YA about a conspiracy theorist social media influencer and her ex-best friend, a jock with brains and managed OCD, who are forced to work together at a wilderness survival camp. That one is out now. And that is all for this episode of the Meet Cute Book Pod. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California, and I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing.